Hello and welcome to Open All Eyes, the QPR podcast, which is joined today by Ian Pegg and Safa Michael. <laughs> Sorry, Safa. Back again. You all right? Back again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all good, Paul. Yeah. Yourself? Oh, hi. Yeah, marvellous. Ian, welcome to the podcast. It's your debut. Been too Thank long. You ago, but I blame Kevin McSweeney for that because he said you'd be rubbish. I've already come on, Paul. You've promised to pay me some salary, a fee. My agent was happy with that. So as you're paying me, I'm happy to turn up. Well, Ian informed me before doing the, the podcast, he's got a BAFTA. So you must be one of the very few QPR fans with an actual BAFTA. Could be. I have no idea. Yeah, it's on my shelf downstairs, unfortunately. I'm upstairs at the moment, so I can't show you. But yeah. What did I'm, you get it from? I won it earlier this year for a documentary, um, Escape from Ukraine. Slightly heavy subject. It was a 15-minute film about children escaping to Poland from Ukraine. No, oh, okay. Fair enough. Grim. Grim, yeah. Right. That's brought the podcast down rather quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we've got nothing, well, we've got QPR to do that. Safa, let's talk about Millwall. What was your thoughts after you? So you're looking forward to it so much. <laughs> yeah, I I actually fancied us to get a draw there, bizarrely enough. But um, yeah, it was a it was a it was a really really poor game of football. Um, you know, and sadly that 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 for me is the worst since we've had Cifuentes in. Um, I I did not understand the the game plan at all. Um, and it and it become very very apparent very quickly that what we were setting out to do just wasn't going to work. Um, you know, and you could feel it. You could you could feel that. I saying before, that was the flattest I've ever seen their ground, Millwall way. It was dead. I mean, absolutely dead. And the only thing that got them up for it was the fact we just kept giving them the ball in really, really threatening positions over and over. And you could feel the game move in that direction. And the fact we kept doing the same thing, just just serving that onto the plate to them over and over was was, was just incredibly disappointing and so, so predictable. So yeah, it was a it was a really, really bad day. Well, I was saying that, um, Safa, I know you mentioned this in your report. Offside from a corner. That's a new one on me. <laughs> I've I know we've spoke before. I know we'll probably come on to this in a little bit more detail, but the 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 corner was incredible. The the throw in, I thought that was very, very cleverly cropped. Now uh, that's come up on the highlights, the one that that they won a free kick from. I mean, mm-hmm. that, we've discussed throw-ins to death on this podcast, but if you watch it, it uh, it was funny, the guy behind me, we we had a throw-in, you know, halfway between the corner flag and the halfway line with Kakai. And Lyndon uh-huh. Douglas stood over the halfway line from him. And you're thinking, he can't throw it that far. We all know he cannot throw it that far. And it made me laugh. The guy behind me, he said, he can't throw it. He can't do that. And then literally, as, as he said it, he threw it unmarked, literally straight on the Millwall man's head. He's headed it first time. And the next time the ball's been touched, it's with Bradshaw on the edge of the box, you know, and he's through one-on-one with Begovic, you know, and 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 done kind of took one for the team or got caught with him and, and they got a free kick and you think I don't know how we make such simple easy things so threatening you know to, for, for the opposition it's it's unbelievable but yeah he said the, 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 the offside from the corner it was really really tough to watch Ian did you believe your eyes when you seen that in some ways I wasn't surprised because we've been making these silly errors time after time after time and 
you can just see that there's there was no confidence in the team. There was no belief, and that's been coming. Over, that happens over a long period of time. And if you look back at our record the last months, years, even as a club, we've not won that many games. We've not played that well regularly. And I think this bunch of players are a bit broken mentally. And I think you know, it's it keep changing the manager. It may have no effect. It might need to might need a little bit of a rethink. But you can see Millwall on 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 on, on Boxing Day. What they did really was they pushed. Through. They knew we were going to pass on the back. They know that we try it. We're okay, not brilliant, but they pressed with three players and they deliberately left Jimmy Dunn free each time. Jimmy Dunn was a spare man, got the ball right, played it into midfield. We lost it, and that happened on repeat four or five times in the first twenty minutes. And I mm. thought. If this doesn't change, this is only going one way. And it did. And to be fair, what annoyed me is you mentioned Jimmy Dunn. It, I, I mean, I thought he was going to get sent off, actually, more than booked. Because um, it didn't look great from where I was. Um, but then again, the whole game didn't look much better. So that, and uh, I thought there was a there was a bit that summed the game up perfectly. I don't know if people remember this. and Maybe I've seen things. But we were jumping for a ball. They were jumping for a ball. And nobody wanted to. It just carried on bouncing. And I'm like, this sums this game up. It was an awful, awful game of football. They were terrible. We were shocking. Jimmy's not a ball-playing midfielder as long as I'm on this earth. He just isn't that sort of player. I don't know if he can be. And it's, we're making Whatever confidence you have in players, as it always be, people like Dunn and that, we're, we're draining out of them by getting to do things they're not capable of doing. Smith on the wing is fine, but not hogging the touchline. He needs to come in. He needs to cut in and, 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 and do things. We weren't really getting him the ball. And... I didn't realise Dazelle was playing to about 60 minutes. And I'm thinking that's that's really not good. And Powell in midfield is like, just, wow, what's that about? Safi, explain that one to me, because I understand what he's doing, but it was clear it wasn't working in the first 20 minutes. So why continue with it? Yeah, I agree. I think the other thing is this. I'm not, I must be honest, I'm not, I'm not huge on the whole, you know, playing out from the back in that. I don't, I don't I think you need a little bit of balance between this just persistent thing, even with better players, to just do it every single time. Um, mm. is is not for me personally. And I say that and I completely get what he's trying to do. Um, but, you know, for me, when you've seen teams do that properly, you know, it's it's all about having a calmness, composure, you know, quality as well, having the players that are right to do it in the first place. It isn't watching Dunn move the ball hurriedly onto his weaker foot, try picking out a pass and dro- dropping it into the midfield to Millwall. And it certainly isn't p- giving it to Kakai under pressure, and watching him slam it upfield or out for a touch either. It, it It's just not the way I, you know, I, I can half understand, you know, a Jake Clark Salter probably, you know, can. You know, he 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 can use the ball well and so can power in those kind of areas. But yeah, it was infuriating. And it was, it was the it was the persistency of us kept doing it over and over and over again. And you could see it, it was just always just ended up with them. I, I honestly I if I'm the Wilbur manager, I'm just, just smack it out over the goal. Let's take a goal kick and build from there because every single time that was where everything was coming from. It was bizarre. Um it really was. And I, I guess the only thing you would say with with keeping Powell on the pitch is he is one of them kind of players that is he's not only capable of using it in the right way. And he obviously wanted to bring Larkesh in and 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 that was the way he kind of felt fit to do it. But it was um yeah it, it was infuriating it really was and and a sad thing is when you I don't know whether it's come across on TV or not, but but being in the ground, you could feel the momentum moving. You could feel our fans getting more and more uptight, more and more frustrated. 
and you could feel them who, I mean, we've basically just woken from their slumber. There was nothing. And then suddenly they were really up for it, knowing that every time we had a goal kick, they, they, they had a chance coming. And it was, it was weird. It was weird. Um, I, I, I can't genuinely understand at all what we were trying to do. It was, it was freakish. Ian? Yeah, no, it's, it's hard to disagree with any of that, but with Palin midfield, when he's pushed up before, he's been on the wing. When he was in the centre of the park, you have to take the ball in the half turn, look for passes. He looked that that wasn't his game. That just wasn't his game. But you know, all these players now, all of them have come for academies of some level, some higher than others, that all play out from the back. These players should be able to play it. They really should. So of course, people will be better than others. I think also when you're trying to play out from the back, if there's no threat up front, what the Mill did, and we see other teams do this. Instead of just pushing two men on the press, they put three. They know there's no forward who's going to flee from the other end. And they just push mm -hmm. every 10 yards further up. Therefore, the press is closer to our goal. So this is not just defence kicking it away and losing the ball. Without a goal threat, you don't stretch the game. You stretch the game, you create space. Um, yeah, there's no doubt that there's a whole host of problems, but the confidence is so weak. People who can play the ball don't. You see Dazell. His first, his first thought, not in the inside, always backwards, always backwards. Let's keep the ball. Eventually, someone's got to pay a straight pass. They really do. But we've seen with Dykes recently, a straight pass comes into Dykes. It's a lottery wherever he controls it. It's unlikely he actually brings it down. Um, not easy for him. I'll give that on his own particularly. But at the moment, the ball's not even sticking when we play it forward. So there's reluctance to play the ball where they may lose it. And that's a sign the confidence is absolutely shot. I was saying that, I mean, we've said this through donkeys, haven't we, Safa? If you're looking for a goal threat, a goal scorer, a goal getter, a poacher, whatever you want to call it, Dykes is not your man. He is not a natural finisher in any stretch of the imagination. He needs a partner. He needs help. Um, but also, his stats are frightening. I looked at them again the other day. And it, whether it's a reflection of him or how we're playing or his recovery from pneumonia, I don't know. But my God, it's just... Unless we start scoring goals, doesn't matter how we play from the back all day long, we're going to go down, you know, and, and that worries me. We need to, there's no goal threat. And, you know, I don't know what was wrong with Willock. Did he get Millwall flu, as they call it, or what? But that was a strange one, you know, just whether it would be a difference. I mean, we're talking now, Cher's not going to away with Morocco, which is fine. But, you know, he worries me as well because his game by game is just getting this thing of needing to do everything himself. So I don't know. The way I see it is he's, he's a great player. He's a good player. We know that. But he needs to let others do things and he can focus on all this. Am I being harsh, Safa? No, I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, there's been many a game this season where the only... The only threat, I mean, I thought he was excellent against Southampton. He just he, he is the only threat, I think. But you are completely right. I mean, there was one... There was one moment, and again, we're we're trying to scrape the barrel to kind of look at things and think where where could we do better, what could we have done different. You know, mm -hmm. there was thing in the first half with Millwall that were that were so high, um, as Ian mentioned, they were pressed so high up and so aggressive, and there was one time where the ball just fell nicely for Chair, and he's broke, and and, you, and then you've got, I think you had two or three Millwall defenders back, and he's got the whole pitch in front of him. And Smith is absolutely, we were in the stand and I could hear him. He was absolutely screaming, just put me in. And you're thinking if there is one thing, you know, I know we speak about Smith in his best position and how to play, but he's got oceans to run into there. I think their player, if I'm not mistaken, the one that was on a yellow card already anyway, that he 
it done for taking Smith out. I mean, if you mm-hmm. put him in there, he's very, very likely through on goal with that much space in front of him, you know, and chair just dallied on the ball and you could see a mile off they were going to take and they did they just you know one of their players took one I think it was Savile took one for the team bang chair and you're thinking those little moments if he just releases that ball it wasn't even a hard pass just put him in you've got the quickest player on the pitch there screaming for it and he didn't give it to him and it it's um yeah I do I think it's a very very fair point he he does have a tendency to just want to do the whole thing himself which is um yeah, maybe a little bit of a result of, of probably his frustration in perhaps playing with your Linden Dykes and things and not getting probably the the kind of support and help that he probably wants on in his side. But yeah, there are times you just got to let that ball go. And um, yeah, you know, again, chance gone. And that was one of the few openings we really had against Millwall and it didn't come to anything. Yeah. What do you think, Ian? What we do, we've done... The Millwall was a good example of that game. And obviously, we've done it in previous games. We get the ball a lot in half-decent positions. Then before, we used to maybe create, miss the chance. We're now not creating the chance by making the wrong decision or the wrong ball. So we may get the ball in the final third. And then the pass before creating the chance, we don't make. Um, It's... it's, Yeah, it can just see... It is frustrating to watch. There's no doubt that we're not playing the right passes. And I think Chair has been guilty of hanging on too much. Actually, I can probably criticise him for actually maybe trying too hard. And yeah, that's hard to be too too harsh on him for that. But you're right. Sometimes he, he, he turns, he turns, he turns. Is that because he can't play the ball? Is that because he can't find the player? But the example you, you gave there, Safra, with um, Smith, he, he, had, he had half of the den, half of the den there to run into and the ball wasn't played. But um, I, I think this goes back to my point before with confidence. I think... I think confidence, when teams are low in confidence, they make bad decisions and we're making lots of bad decisions. But also, it, it, it's it's a worry, isn't it, that we're putting, we talked about this earlier on, and maybe come back to this point as well, of putting the wrong players in the wrong positions, putting Paolo in that midfield role, in the centre of it, it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, Lakesh has, has been knocking on the door, but no doubt he needs games. There has to be a better way of doing it than that. Then It just seems to finding room for players. Dizel... Midfield is basically field trying to do everything himself. It's all the players doing things himself. You've got one end, you've got field trying to defend by himself and, and cut everything out. And it's putting pressure on him. You've got Cher who's trying to do everything himself by going forward. And you've got Kaka and Don trying to work out how to pass the ball. And that's no reflection of them. They're not them sort of players. And you're thinking, well, why isn't Clark Salter come back? And you think, well, he's got the Millwall players on him, so Hampton players on him, so he can't do that. So we, you're right, they, they're targeting us. They know what we're doing. Is it a case, now this is what I've been thinking all day, because my wee tiny brain doesn't cope with many things in life, but I'm now starting to think, do we just have to get through this season, try and stay up, and then judge Marty on, on, on next season when he had some players, he has his own system, the players to play that system. But my worry is, we do this tomorrow night against Ipswich, we are going to get absolutely rinsed. They, they, they will kill us doing this, and We've got to try something different. What do we do? Safa. Yeah, Simple I think question. We, we've had, and this is an argument that, that a lot of fans are kind of increasingly starting to make now, is we had that, particularly the, well, there, there was the Stoke and the Preston games where, you know, Stoke, his substitutions completely turned the game on its head. It was fantastic, you know, and, and really contributed. And Preston, he looked like a genius with, with you know, resting chair and bringing it on. But, but we've done the same thing in the following games against really, really weak or, or what should be weaker opposition, you know, Sheffield Wednesday and uh, and obviously we had Plymouth and then Millwall. 
you, you know, there is an argument for get your best players on the pitch. You know, that, that, yeah. and, and maybe we've been a little bit harsh there in terms of, you know, Willock, would he have started or not? I'm not sure, but, you know, there, there is this, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know where Cook is. Um, I, I don't know what, what's happening there. Colback, I, you know, has not played for a long, long time. It just, you do wonder kind of, are we, what, 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 who is making these decisions over the players' fitness here? You know, because Cannon still, you know, for me is a, in every sense of the word, a better option at right back than Kakai. And we can't seem to to get him to string two games together yet, you know. And he looks to me quite. He doesn't look heavy. <laughs> he looks quite athletic, and I but I don't know how far away he is from from being able to start regularly. That will help, you know. But it's it's tough, you know. I said that this argument over getting your best players on the pitch is a is a really really valid one, you know, because we've we've shuffled, and what have we actually ultimately achieved over the last four games from that, you know, not a great deal. No, oh, appeared Ian. An example I'll give, after we won that final home game eventually against Watford, we kept the same team for Blackpool away and they were leggy when we got done. So I kind of get squad rotation. Mm. I think the problem is we haven't got a squad and we barely got an 11. But Willock was kicked to pieces last game. I just don't think he was anywhere near fit enough to play. Okay. Maybe he should have named him on the bench if that was the case. Reggie Cannon's an interesting one because he had no pre-season he left his club in Portugal, I think, where he hadn't been paid. So he's not had pre-season, and I think players suffer from that. He does look short of fitness. And actually, this is I think this is quite a high standard of him at the moment. The goal against Southampton, he kind of lost the man. He, he'd lost him. Um, I think he's better than Kakai at the moment, marginally. and But I think there's a player there. But it comes down to fitness. We had Laird last year, who you know, we could barely get through 60 minutes. Callan's a little bit more, a little bit fitter than that, but we need players on the pitch. Um, playing playing pal in midfield was a mistake. We, I think that's fairly obvious. And it's which that's going to be a tough. We know it's going to be a tough game, even we were playing while I'm on all these games. I think the problem is because we've lost to Sheffield Wednesday, because we didn't beat Plymouth, because we lost to Millwall. If we'd got results out of those, this game wouldn't matter quite so much, but it does now. Every game does matter for us. Um, but I just hope it's, you know, football's a strange thing, isn't it? Sometimes you do better against the top teams. I have no idea. Ishwich's form, they got done at Leeds, but they then drew with Leicester. You know, it was a good result for them. It's tough to say. I think our only hope on, on tomorrow is, is complacency on their you part. Know, else. Right. They'll be consistent. I'll give you that. Yeah. Um, that's one thing we've got to see. Um, all right. Let's let let's talk about this awful stat that's been doing the rounds on Twitter and social media about the most losses in five and ten years. <laughs> Is that an indictment of the club? I'll start with you, Ian, because that to me says that people are still in a job that shouldn't be anywhere near the job at the club. But there you are, so it's me. I mean, if you I mean obviously the fact that we haven't got relegated like over it was it two hundred and two losses, I think, in ten years and hundred and something in in five. I may not be exactly right on that. Mm. It's an awful lot of losses. What it does say, though, we must have not drawn many games. <laughs> we must have won our fair share as well. So the stats can, you know, not be give you a, a true picture. What it shows, though, is the problems we've had now have been coming for a long, long time. And I, I look back as well. Isn't the last player to score twenty goals in a season for us was Andy Thompson, twenty-two years, yeah. right? And he's a bad back. I mean, before that, it was probably Les Ferdinand in the mid-90s. But obviously, there was the trap season just short. That's and a couple sport. of really great seasons from Austin. But what it shows, though, is over a number of years, 
the squad has been gradually getting worse, underperforming players. So this stat, actually look back at it, the amount of money has been spent by the owners, it's their money, they've spent a lot of money. The returns are getting, it's like diminishing returns here. Um, and actually, if you look back at the record, five and ten years, that many losses, gradually dropping off a cliff as we are doing now, slowly, you can see it, can't you? It's been coming because the investment has not been spent properly. The players haven't been the right kind of players. The culture of bringing in players, it seems to be some the managers have had to say. Director of football, at the moment we haven't got one. Um, it just smells to me, especially at the moment. I know the stat's been bad for years. The owner's looking to move on. We know that. I don't think they want to make any appointments and spend any money unless they have to. Um, but this, this it's been mismanaged from a playing side for more than this year. This is the club's been built on sand, and the last five and ten years it's gradually sinking. Yeah, I mean, I think Spencer got twenty odds, didn't he? Um, yeah, it's been a long time, Paul. A long time. It's been a long time, and I'm trying to think of anyone that's even come close. To that probably Charlie with eighteen. Um, I'm not sure what he got in the playoff season because he was injured. For, anyway, Safa. Yeah, it's 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 a horrible. I mean, I must say, I I found this last well for for a while really really tough going following QPR. One of the hardest, you know, that I can remember. Um, and it does. It just there, there just seems to be a a real acceptance of losing and losing badly and losing so regularly. Um, but again, you you do come back to you know we can sit here and say why why have we why we've we given it to Dunn to play out from the back and given it to Kaka to play out from the back and under Ainsworth we said we need a more progressive style we don't, can't keep going long and then under Critchley it was a complete mess and then under Bill it was going wrong and then people are unhappy under the way it went under Warburton at the end I still think that was a big mistake letting him go but it it it, it is the same thing it's different managers it's different styles different philosophies the same thing. And again, you do keep coming back to the recruitment, you know, and again, you you take this season as, as a really typical example. You know, we were told we needed this, you know, more experienced heads, good, good things. We've had Colback, uh, I don't know, has he even been available for half of our games? You know, uh, who knows? We probably won't see him till the, you know, sometime in January. Um, Hook, I've got no idea what, what what's going on there. You know, good mm. player, we can get him fit, but he seems to miss an awful lot of football. We're giving out two-year contracts to these people, you know? And you think, well, if this is how fit they are now, you know, another year on the clock, how much are they going to be free then? What, a quarter of the season? You know, it's the same. And then you, you, you've repeated those mistakes. You look and then you look back and you go, well, what, look what we did with Stefan Johansson. And, you know, and it keeps going on and on. So it's really, really tough to... To, to kind of fathom how we keep making these same mistakes over and over again. Um, but again, we've said about the recruitment for a very, very long time. It's been poor. It continues to be poor. And again, you're looking at this season now and it looks like, again, a really, really poor uh, January transfer window. You know, and that, uh, sorry, yeah, poor summer. You know, we go into January now. I still don't quite know who heads up the recruitment. I don't know, is that the manager's job? Is there someone else? We don't know what's happening to the director of football. We all shake our heads and don't know. You know, and then it, it you can't really be too surprised when we kind of fast forward the clock six months or a year and say, oh, that wasn't a very good window again. It's, you know what I mean? It's going to keep happening. It's tough. I think I think with the transfers, the confusion was that on one hand, we, we had a director of football and he was saying he was giving the money to the players he wanted. On the other hand, you're saying, well, you shouldn't because that's your job to stop that. So if you're saying that Bill filled the squad with loan players that were never going to do anything or amount to much and 
Richards and so on, then then that's on the on everyone. It's it's and that's the thing that it seemed to be that Rangers were always pointing a finger at someone and everyone's pointing a finger at each other, you know. So that all saying is there's one finger pointing at you and four fingers pointing back at yourself. You know, it's one of them ones and it's just kind of like collective responsibility. I, I kind of think that after Millwall, we keep saying Saturday because that Christmas period, but after Millwall, I was I was hoping they'd lock themselves in the, the training ground for a good couple of hours and just have it out. You know, just you know, because we never hear from Ramsey, we never hear from Hall, we never hear from the academy side of things, and we presume they're doing a good job. We look at the results, we look at who's coming into the first team, we know it's not going in the right way. We know that we're underselling players like Dickey. And I mean, I did an Ipswich podcast earlier on today, and it just hit me. I looked at Luongo and I thought, you know, what is it about us? They just don't want to play for us. Don't, don't they like us? Don't they love us? Don't they feel the love that we have for them? What is it? Luongo goes away, has a couple of dodgy spells at Middlesbrough on Wednesday. I know that. But look at him now. So, and we spent three million on him. You know, we spent two million on, on Macaulay Bourne. It's just the money we've spent was only eased by the Eze money. If we hadn't had that Eze money, our transfer budget would be absolutely shocking for what we've spent, what we've received. But no one takes responsibility. You know, it's like we had um, a fans form this year. They've all gone. You know, I mean, you know, it's one of them ones where you kind of look like Amit's gone. I know Les wasn't here at the start of the season. Ainsworth is gone. I think, Christ, it's just like trying the same thing time after time after time and it's not working, but hoping the next time you crack it and you won't. That was my rant. And I feel That's better right. for that. You're allowed to rant. I mean, I think on transfers, there's also when we had Willick at chair at their peak selling value, we didn't. Yeah. And actually, that's, you know, I'm not saying I'm not saying we'd have replaced them, but if you've got three, four million for each, wherever it had been, we we now we won't. We can't afford no. to have those losses. We really can't. Also, you can see with there's a couple of things in contracts. I mean, Sinclair Armstrong's up this year. I'm not sure if we got an option or not, but mm. uh, his contract's up. He's he could have been he should have been alone last year. I know Bill stopped it, but his development's been stopped by not playing games. Um, and actually, you know. Young Coley looks a really talented player. I know he's injured. I know he's fit now. He needs to go on a good loan, like Eze yes. did, like Chair did. We're actually we're harming ourselves by not giving them games. Mm, that's a very, very good point, actually, Safa. Yeah, I completely agree. But again, you kind of come back to who's leading this ship, you know, because this is what you know Ferdinand originally was was you know here for. He left in June, you know, six months ago, and we still don't know, you know, and it's not. It's not that there's anything else happening behind the scenes. One of the things going back to that fans forum that did come up was that, you know, Richard Riley is is basically heading up this, you know, new role director of football. As I said, Ferdinand left, left in June. Why are we still six months down the line having gone through, you know, one transfer window, approaching another transfer window, which is probably, I think, probably going to be our most important for years. This January is going to be huge, you know, in terms of what we do. And, and still we have no... Um, we have no football person in there to do it. You know, it's it's incredible, really. Um, but yeah, I can't. I agree with you a hundred percent. It's it's a it's a really really concerning thing, and 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 who is making these decisions? I mean, look at I don't, listen. We've talked about Richard a lot, um, and we've discussed it to death. And we've got to now think about what the hell was that about? Who the hell sanctioned that move? It's clearly ridiculous. Um, it's the sound of callback, Kirk and Fox. I get, I understand. 
But now that's gone to shit because they're injured. But the Richards deal, I just can't get my head around that. You know, he's quite a high-player player. He got a quite a long contract. But we got him alone, but we had to sign him. No, don't do it then. Because you don't know. And, you know, Sinclair Armstrong should have been alone. The chances of him staying when he's not getting any goals and everything, I don't know. But there's a player there, but he may just be gone. I don't know. It's it's a mess, isn't it, Ian? I mean, and I'm, I'm, or am I being harsh or am I missing out on the, the players that we have got and that have worked and just focusing on negative? I mean, every club, I mean, you know, every club has got to try and get 60 or 70% of the transfers or contracts right to, to succeed. Bigger clubs can, can afford a higher ratio and still do okay. But I mean, Man United have got huge errors in their contracts, but they can't yeah, the six. We haven't got the luxury. If we get, you know, 20% right, we get relegated. That's how it works. I mean, and I think worries me this year is staying up the Bill Wendell. I'm not sure it is because if this carries on, we'll just go down next year. I mean, so if it, until the problems are solved, what league you're in comes a little bit irrelevant because you're well, going to go definitely eventually money. anyhow. It's about having a structure, it's about having ownership. But you can see no appointment of director of football and contract decisions. Um, it's easy. These are all with hindsight, aren't they? Most decisions. But you can see now, though, that this just smells of looking to find a buyer for the club and giving the buyer their freedom to appoint who they want to appoint. Is that viable? Will it happen? I don't know. Um, but quite clearly, um, the actual impact, interest, and ownership of the problems, is, is no, no one's got that moment. No one's got that at all. The trouble is, I mean, the director of football, like, let's, let's just focus on this for a second, then we'll, we'll leave it because we could talk about it all day. But how... In- a recruitment consultant when you, you've got Lee Hughes has worked in football for 20 odd how many years and everything else just seems stupid to me you've got enough people who have worked in football long enough Ramsey Hall um, Hughes God knows who else have been there for years just, they, they talk in the community they must know who's doing a good enough job out there that they can bring in and, and why hasn't it happened I'm going to leave that with you in because you just pulled the theatre yeah, I, think, I mean, I think ultimately, I think they've been there too long as well. I don't think they can see their thought process in terms of how it works. Okay, they haven't. They've been there too long. It's you know, I'm not saying get rid of everybody instantly, but you know, you look, you look from Lee Hughes has been there a long time. He's overseen us having the most losses in the last ten years, almost. Actually, most people lose their jobs for that, not get promoted and given extra jobs. Most people lose their jobs. Youth team, it's incredibly difficult. We're not attracting the talent. I mean, as a we got 16 from Millwall, wasn't it? Um, Dixon Bonner's good for Liverpool. Actually, I think Coley's got a chance. The youth team doesn't bring many people through because the talent gets hoovered up by other clubs. I mean, um, Bakari Saka, he's from near me, Greenfield, Ealing Way. Arsenal had him at eight, eight, eight years old, got nowhere near him, of course. But it's very hard to pick up young players when the academies are so wide ranging in the Premiership. I'm starting to think the un- under 14s and below. You know, generally, do you bother? Do you really bother and put all your resources into under-16s or under-18s release players? Because we can't attract them. Not in the That's what Wolverton was trying to do, wasn't it? And he was trying to create the B yeah. team that Brentford had. Yeah. Because we haven't... Because the, the you spend three million a year in the youth system, you may only get 100,000 back because yeah. the Premier Clubs are screwing you. Yeah. And yeah. That's, that's the bottom line. So you've got to make it... But then we've got to sell the club better. We've got to say there's a pathway there. There's ability there, but then the parents listen to that. I don't know. I've never been good at football. I've never had anyone in my family good at football. I don't know how these things work. But Safa, it, it, it's worrying, isn't it? The, the you know the and I, I actually think it, it nailed it. You know, we survive year after year, 
And this year might just be that year where we don't survive. And Swords Laws, when the TV money comes in as well for the championship next year as well, as usual, Rangers, we fall like the arse of it. Yeah, it is. It is. I think the only thing that I probably disagree with a little bit is is I think League One could be a graveyard for QPR. You know, there's, there's much, much bigger clubs that have gone into that division and, and really, really, really struggled to come back out. Um, so I, I think personally relegation would be a disaster for us myself. Um, but I do think, and you know, we've tried, you, you, you try and be as patient as you possibly can with this group of players and you, you try to, you, you try to keep getting behind them and, and trying to think it will come good, but, but, you know, under successive managers and, and it, it, it generally keeps going the same way. You know, so I think I can't remember which who it was that said about it about throwing a hand grenade at the squad. You know, we were talking about doing that two, three seasons ago, and you kind of going into January thinking, yeah, it needs another hand grenade thrown at it. We need complete clear out, something fresh, new. But you know, as I said, I I, I really fear for what relegation means for QPR. I, I do not think that it will be the fun and games we had back last time when we dropped into that division. I think it will be a really, really tough. Tough yeah. thing. I'm back. No, I, I agree, Sarah. I think it will be tough going down. I just think my point is, if it's not this year, with the current regime, it'll be next year. It's yeah, coming. No, it's coming. Fair, yeah, it's coming. Point, yeah. No, I agree. I mean, the TV money difference at the moment is about £7 million, I think. It may get bigger. But the only good thing is, if you get a sugar daddy involved, not, not a great phrase, I know, but they could probably, uh, they can fund the club whatever they like because financial fair play doesn't exist. No, because that's worked so well for us before. Yeah, I know. <laughs> make mistakes and repeat Paul make mistakes and repeat <laughs> it's what annoys me it's like it's kind of like do you get rewarded at some point do you think people are being rewarded for failure you, I mean for what the good that Lee Hughes has done and everything else and, and you know who knows how many hats he wears at the club it seems to be he's got his own hat stand never mind for each single hat he wears has he got too much to do Ramsey I mean he's been at the club I mean eight years at a football club and he's whatever how long he's been there is an eternity and he's to me, he's going to start defending his position a bit better and being a bit more. People have got to see him speaking and understand what he's doing because I've I, I think of myself as known quite a lot of them working at QPR. And I haven't got to scooby what anyone's doing inside the first team, but also as I said before, when when Marty came in, it's amazing how all these coaches think that the coaches there beforehand they've seen us not do much are the best coaches. Do you know what I mean? Like we don't change anything. We don't change the goalkeeping choice. We don't change. First team, we just change his manager, assistant manager, we bring one or two in. So they all think these guys are brilliant. So something's on there. And then I think someone said, I can't remember, well, we just keep adding staff to the road to, and it's to I don't know, it's it's a mess. And I think you're right, Ian, and you're right, Safa. Like, we need a massive clear right. I think if we do get through this season without getting relegated, God, please, God, we don't get relegated. There needs to be one hell of a hoover for that place. And we need to, people start need to think in, and for the club and what's best for the club and what's not might seem a bit harsh to some people. We've got to start, people have got to start defending the position a bit more by results and by progress and by, we've got a great training ground now, so that's not an excuse. I mean, no doubt that the owners, Ian, the owners have put money in. We know yeah. that yeah. And, and we know they're keeping in and we know they're losing. Riley's a very interesting character. He's very interesting. He He's almost like, sitting around, looking at what's going on, observing, absorbing, and sponging it all up. And it's either he's going to just go, feck this, and throw his toys out and go somewhere else, or he's going to uh, get major investment. Because I think, like Ian said, we're definitely up for some kind of investment. Because there's no way Ruben can keep losing this money and be happy about it. I wouldn't be. 
you know what I mean? So anyway, that's, I guess when he, when he came in, we were, you know, flying under Bill, people talking about Premier League. It's mm-hmm. very, very feasible that, you know, when, when he's invested, he has one eye potentially on division above. And it's quite feasible that his investment will be in a League One club coming end of the season. So I agree with you. He, he's, um, you do wonder kind of what, how much involvement he is and will have moving forward. I don't think he's here to just make up the numbers myself. No. I think him at the fans forum, where he sat yeah, near him actually. Um, yeah. I mean, what worries me, he's obviously sold his family business for a guy who's got some money. He's got no digital footprint at all. I mean, you can't That's find true. much about I mean, it's really unusual for people of any anybody not a digital footprint. I just, I'm not saying he's an honourable guy. I'm sure he is. He seemed very nice. He does seem a careful guy. But to have no digital footprint and know nothing about him, I, I worry. I just worry. I don't expect to know what he's eating for tea and what his wife eats and where, where she goes out at all or Facebook pages. But professionally, he's a secretive animal and it worries me. Yeah, a lot of things worry me. Back passes you have in your own yard box where it's a shed and it'd be like, hey, Right, I suppose we've slowly been talking for a while now. We haven't really come on to Ipswich too much, so we've talked about it. We but we should really talk about that. So we should do the Ipswich chat and predictions in the same the same depressed man. I mean, we don't have to talk about Ipswich. We we can talk about historic buildings in Ips Suffolk, or we can talk about nice museums or swimming pools that we might want to visit or pubs. It's entirely up to you, Safa. Yeah, I um. I've got to be honest, I, I can't. It's very, very difficult to see anything but a, a Ipswich win there, isn't it? You know, you can't, you know. Um, I'm going and beating Hull and Preston was one thing, but I do think Ipswich away is a completely different animal. Um, you know, I, I think that's a, it's a really, really tough game. Um, but as as uh, Ian said, you know, complacency in this division, it, it happens every week. Teams do sometimes put a result out of nothing. Um, and QPR, you know, for as much as we've really frustrated and really found the last couple of games really tough to watch, this team is capable of getting a result sometimes when you don't expect it. Sometimes when we do hit rock bottom, they 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 surprise you and drag you back in. So, you know, you never know. I, I'm not I'm going up there with complete hope rather than expectation. But um, yes, yeah, it's, it's a tough tough game, isn't it? You can't see it any other way, but you never know. Yeah, I, I think. think- Hang on, he's got a goal prediction first, dude. He's got, hang on, calm yourself. If if only our forward line had the same same emphasis as go forward, right? Quickly, sorry, Ian. That's good. Yeah, I mean, it it would be a shock result. We'll come back to you. We'll come back to you. I think honestly, because all the all the omens say we're going to lose four nil. We're not going to touch the ball for most of the game. I think we're going to win one nil. I think we're going to get results. Oh, it's based on I hope they've all gone to a New Year's Eve party and a fight breaks out. The weather's apocalyptic, a freak goal. Who knows? But they go to New Year's party two nights for New Year's Eve. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's based on no logic whatsoever. But just Christmas time, a New Year period, lots of games, you get freak results, and I'm hoping that we get one of them. Well, I might as well do your school prediction then. Yeah, <laughs> one one nil to us, Dykes. Heather, have you um just just out of interest for our listeners, have you been on the source at all? No, no. no Bill, I've got to have hope, Paul. So I can't get through the day. It may be delusional hope, but it's hope. <laughs> I love it anyway. Whatever it is, Safa, score prediction. 
I was just going to say, I can see a bottle cap behind Ian on his on his mantle. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I've, I've, yeah, I, I can't lie, I can't, I can't see anything but a relatively comfortable two 0 whip switch win. Sorry to be downbeat, but that's fine. That's fine, mate. That's podcast. So, me personally, I'll, I'll take a draw. I don't care how it comes. I'll take a, the most boring game ever and a draw because we need to pick something up. Reality is, if we play that way, I was doing Millwall. And instead of it, I'm going to get rinsed three or four. Um, they're quite... I mean, it's hard to say because when we played Leicester and we played there and we played Southampton, there's bits in them games I thought, you know, we could be in this, and which I didn't feel funny enough against Millwall. I just thought we were absolutely hopeless and I didn't think at any point we were in the game, if I'm being brutally honest about these things, which you have to be. But yeah, I mean, I just I just hope they take the foot off the gas. Well, um, if you remember, when we played them at home, we, we played them off the pitch that day. We did. We really we did. did. I think didn't Sinclair hit both posts with the same shot. I think Kakai missed from a yard. We had big chances. Oh, that that was that one, wasn't it? That was a yeah, that was a bit. And again, though, you go with the finishing thing, but I don't know. Listen, I'll I'll take anything. I I think they're in such good shape. They're, you know, they've got this young manager. You know, but you know what I was thinking today it was interesting Ian, as well. Before I go, and my score predicts is I I'll, I want nil nil. I want nil nil, and I don't think I want to get nil nil. Um, but there you go Ian have you noticed these things as well with everyone was saying we've got to do what Brentford did we've got to do what Brighton did Brentford have fallen off a cliff recently and you know and but they've got to where they are and I'm thinking why don't we just do something different outside the box that people do first rather than copy Brentford and Brighton they are not their model is an interesting one because they're both run by gambling and they've mm. got huge access to database of players. That other people, we, we've got database summer access to it, like most clubs. They've got initial databases, but they they set up at a time Brentford. I mean, you know, they paid twelve million for Ivan Tony going to sell him on. They were when when they their models go up was different, of course, but they were buying big to sell big. But they made good decisions at the right time. And Brighton, the guy spent a lot of money there, an awful lot of money. But the the thing they both both got in common is they both got new grounds, you know. And actually, I mean, it, it does come down to the grounds. Can you make more money? Can you make it sustainable? Make the right decisions? It's all part of the same story. And the Brighton and Brentford model is, yeah, that they've they've used they've got great contacts. They've got great information with data on players that other clubs haven't got. They use it better than most clubs. But it's dangerous copying someone else just because they've done well. You've got a model that works for you. Whatever that is, it's got to be your model, influenced by other people, but don't copy someone else because they may have things that you can't do. Yeah, that's true. Like free kicks and corners. <laughs> Imagine yes. we try copying them. <laughs> that is, uh, everyone would die of shock, I tell you. But the thing, the interesting thing about Brentford, they were making money when your man, Matthew, whatever his name, came in. They started mm-hmm. doing it. You can see what he was doing. and um, Yeah, and they were doing it at Griffin Park as well. Better. But I always think with QPR, it's sliding doors moments, isn't it? You know, we, we're watching Exeter. We're taking on one player. They've taken another player. Their player's gone on to play in the Premier League. Ours has gone on, and England. Ours has gone on to just huddle back down to Wickham and, and go back to League One. And, and, you know, and then you look at the scenario we had last year when we had Edwards was available. We knew Bill was leaving. We knew he was going to go. We, we waited Edwards went to Luton. There you go. It's always sliding doors and ranges where you're kind of thinking, 
why didn't we do this? Why didn't we do that? And perhaps we're just not thinking in the right way. I mean, if you go to a game and you see Watkins and, and Wheeler play and, and Wheeler has a better game, fair enough, but it just we just seem to make bad decisions. And it's, it's just, and the, I know I keep saying it, but the Dickie and Luongo one just stinks to me that players just don't want to play for us or there's something wrong with the team because Dickie was like the Dickie was what Don was doing now last season, wasn't it? It was there was mistakes happening, people going, Oh, Dickie's not as good as he should be. <laughs> and um so anyway, you two talk about that. Well, I go down to the door. Excellent with that, Paul. Yeah, it, it comes down you know, making we all these are all things in hindsight. You look backwards, you can say it's easy to make them in hindsight. But what Brighton and Brentford have done and have done for many years is make more of the right decisions than the wrong ones. That's because they've got confidence in their process. Um, I know every club has you know, someone leads, there's three people lined up for them. It's just some people's lists are better than our lists, they're more creative. And you can see that Brighton have got a list of managers lined up, they've got a list of players, same as Brentford. Our lists aren't as good. Maybe that's because we haven't got the contacts, but also it comes down to the model. I think at, at Brighton, is it David Weir, the ex-Scottish um, international, is their director of football. And it, the whole club buys into that. That controls who they buy. That control, controls who they go to. Also, they're not scared to sell. It goes back to example. It's a much smaller example. We didn't sell Chera or Willock when we could. They would have done that. They would have moved them on for someone else. That's a very good point, actually. I mean, the chances are that um, old Snake Eyes is going to come back for Willock probably at Sunderland. And we'll get ridiculous money, maybe 100000 if we're lucky, 200000 And Cher will probably go some point, I guess, and probably he might extend his contract. I don't know. But the, the model is low, isn't it, Safa? They're supposed to come to us, get better, be sold on. And we did what we did in the 70s and 80s and 90s. We then replenished the team with players of similar ilk. We sell a Sinton, we get a Sinclair. Do you know what I mean? And and at the moment, we just seem to be not, well. We're not doing it. No. Why? Don't no. And we we've we've mentioned this before on the pod as well previously. But you know the the players that we have had a degree of success with, you know, and take a Willock is a prime example. We paid more to sign him, if I'm not mistaken. You know, than what we're probably going to get for it. Well, we will end up getting a lot more. January, yeah. the, and it, and you look and you think you've actually lost money on a player like that. You bought him in at a right age. He's come in and done in spells exceptionally well in the championship. And we're going to end up losing him for less than what we bought him for. And that model is fundamentally broken, you know, and, and you can go back to, you know, you can go over recent history. You can go over a longer history, any spell over that last 10 years that we've mentioned. And you can pull out names that we will laugh at now. you your Connor Washington's and you, you can go on and on. But it's um yeah you know and really the 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 two that you would say we've actually genuinely had success with in terms of that model is Eze which is a freak once in a generation never ever you know that that was a freak one off but great bit of business and Luke Freeman yeah that's it you know Raheem as well but that was done on the youth with Steve Gallon yeah but I mean Raheem though you're going back over ten years aren't you oh yeah. You know, but that's what I mean. It's too it's too infrequent to be a success, isn't it? Whether Raheem to Eze to Freeman, everyone else has been paired off or sold below value mark market value. I mean, if you look at the players that were paired off, like the likes of Listener, uh, Lexer, sorry, um, who was the one that got paired up? Macaulay Bone. You we paired off so many players. Silla, you know, yeah, it's just it's incredible. We we you know we we had to do a similar thing for, didn't we? We let him go a year yeah. early. You do wonder. Whatever happens at the end of this season, whether we stay up, go down, you're still going to have 
I mean, who knows? It's quite feasible we get to the end of the season and we might not even see Cole back and Cook again. <laughs> who knows? It wouldn't shock you, you know, and you could be going into next season either as a League One club or a championship club and we've still got, you know, a likes of a Jack Cole back or with another year left on his contract, you know, who misses weeks and weeks on end. And you need them. You, we need. We can't carry passengers, yeah. you know, and you you do. It's the same mistake over and over. It's like it's like when we went to, uh, in you would kind of did anyway. Listen, set down with us. Remember the first time we went up to the Premier League, we got mullered because we didn't put a relegation clause in the contracts, which every promoter club should do. And then we went up again, and then did the same thing again. So it goes back again to the, just spinning the circle. It's it's about it's about where your power lies, isn't it? How confident you are, because most players won't sign a relegation clause because they work out they lose too much money. I mean, mm-hmm. I know. It's- it's a perennial problem for lots of clubs, but actually, you've got to be. If, if you've got a model where if player A says I won't sign it, you've got player B, C, and D lined up or thought through. Therefore, that you're in a better position. And it's yeah, it's decision making is everything. But signing players, you can develop. Every coach will develop a player somehow, but we are not signing players with the ability to go on. And that's it's it's, it's a problem over many years. But it's about where the power lies. Are you the person who control that conversation? If the player says I won't sign that contract, tell you what, we get player B in, and we, we we get caught up. Oh, we're worried now. Tell you what, we have that contract and have a bit more money on the side to play for us. And that's what we're doing. Yeah. It's madness. It's madness. Even even the cheaper ones or the players we have taken a punt on that have been mild successes. Even then, we've let them kind of walk out the door. You know, Barbe should never have been allowed to leave. Who would have Don Ball back in the side now? I would. Mm. I mean, the thing about. What always worried me was when the club, and I always thought it was a bit naughty, really, sometimes, when the club said, oh, we've, we've tried to negotiate with them, but they've left, making the player look like the bad guy. But that's like anything in life. Someone could offer me, um, we could be working for somebody to the contract, and they give us 20 quid, and then they say, well, we're negotiating the contract here at £1.50. Well, of course you're not going to sign it. It's a nonsense. So I do think that was a bit misleading at times with players. It made them look bad. But something like Barbe, wasn't it? You know, was always fit, was always a uh, play two or three positions for you. Yeah, we still might be in this position. Who knows? It's all twenty twenty vision and and everything else. Twenty twenty vision. Where'd that come from? Anyway, um, it's still hindsight. Twenty twenty. This is these specs. What happened is right. I'll be honest with you. The dog get me glasses, and I'm not using purple, and I can't see anything. <laughs> and that is no word of a lie. He came out of the bedroom one day with me glasses in his cup, and I haven't been able to see properly since. Anyway, carry on, Ian, as you were. Yeah, I mean, is a good example. He asked for a pay rise, didn't he? And they said, we can get better and pay less. And what happened was, they haven't got better and they're paying more. So it's all <laughs> bad decisions, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's, you know, there's certain players, that, you know, you can see that, you know, people like Bidwell, wherever he goes, he goes for three years with the intention of leaving on a freebie. He makes money. Yeah. Actually, if that's the model before they come to you, don't sign them. Don't right, sign them. Yeah, I mean, he's done it, done it twice now, hasn't he? That's his model. He goes somewhere, gets a three-year contract, does a decent job, no intention of staying, wants, wants to be paid off. He gets a pay He goes on a freebie, he gets a bigger sign-on fee, and he gets more wages. Yeah. But at the same time, as we've got to use that to our advantage and bring players in and make them better so we get something for them. There's something, I mean... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I know that the future, unless we sort of set the past out, will just be a continuation. And that, that worries me. And then everyone that was saying, hey, Marty's changed things. We, we, and we hope he can get the time to change it. But, you know, if we drop the league, is, are they going to get itchy fingers again? You know, you don't know. It's 
because it's such a, and I agree with Safa, and I know you said the same thing in Sunderland Wednesday, Portsmouth struggling that lead together. But what chance have we got, you know, with the structure that we have? It, it, it just, it worries me. But never mind, we've been rabid known for quite a while. And it's, it's good because it's the kind of, I see these as therapy. I see these as something we can all meet together, like in a little pub and just bang our heads off a wall. Because that's what I say. Do you know what? And this is what, this is, I've never felt like this before, but seeing them losses, and I hate saying this because, you know, we love our club. But we, you know, we, we've, we'll still be there. Listen, we're not, we're not saying we won't be, but it just seems like you turn up to get kicked in the face every time. And those defeats for any fan base to take over five or ten years, it's a lot. Whether you win the games or not, that's, that's a lot of defeats, a lot of laughter aimed at you, a lot of finger pointing at you, a lot of taking the piss, which we're big enough and ugly enough to cope with. But at some point, someone in the club has got to slam the table and say, this has to fucking stop. We have to turn this around. We have to be better. We have to be more competitive. And we have to give those fans something to cheer for. And that is part of my R's end. I'll come back to my real R's ends when you've done yours. Sorry for the rant again, but I'm really angry. And that was mild anger. Ian? Um, R's end. Two very quick things. The first one, we've come up with loads of problems. We've all identified the issues, but we haven't got a solution. No. That's, it's easy, isn't it? What is the solution? If if the clubs knew that, everybody would be taking turns to win the league, but it is tough. Um, my R's end, going back to kind of why we follow the club, our Harleys, coming back on the tube from Millwall, on the Jubilee line, talking to a guy, really nice guy, conversation, QPR fan, been there with his two kids. Um, we're joking, obviously, taking kids to football, as my son goes sometimes. You know, if, if social services find out, they'll be in touch and saying, why are you doing this? And one one child guessing was eight, the other one maybe twelve. He said, "Yeah, we we know now it's hard. They've had a great day out with his kids. The youngest has been to twenty grounds, and the oldest has been to thirty grounds, and eight, wow. eight, twelve. And actually, the football is a bit of a, a sideline now. It's you know you go because you go with your friends or family. It's what you do. We know we're poor, but for them, actually, for us, it's it's kind of it's a day out. But I, I forgot actually, they've been to 12, twenty grounds and thirty grounds each." That's fantastic, and they love going, and that's that's great. Let's not lose that bit. I reckon Safa goes because he likes boats. Carry on, Safa. <laughs> yeah, I do. I just love it. Uh, it's because there's nothing else to do down here. For that's all, all there is. It's just, just, uh, yeah, just traveling the QPR games. Um, no, I've, I've not really got so much on ours. I, I guess probably the only thing I would say I've, I've, and I completely, completely get the frustration. I was tearing my hair out the other, the other, you know, against Millwall myself. But I think the thing that I would just, you start to see a little bit of creeping and people going, oh, you know, what's the manager up to? What's he doing? I I, I find that incredible. <laughs> I think yeah. if we go and tell by now that the manager is not the problem, you know, how many more do you need to munch your way through until you realise there's a much, much bigger issue here? So, you know, I, I think completely fair to to kind of come on and voice frustrations over what we're doing and, and that, and I completely get it. But I just hope above all else that people just stick behind this manager, whatever happens this season go up, go down, stick behind him. Hopefully, whatever happens, he's going to give a chance to rebuild this squad um, and and see what he can do, you know. Um, it's frustrating, but it's not it's not directed at him. I just, it's just, as you said, years of just watching consistent losses one the other start to, you know, it does start to grind you down. But um, I do hope we can stick behind him because I do think we've got a really good one here. Oh, I like that. My R's end is a simple one, and that is that it's the new year coming up. It's the new year of hope. 
I'm laughing at that because I know we know that's just words. Um, over to the club to make sure the hope exists. Um, but you know, it's hard for people who have lost QPR fans this year. We talk about football. We talk about what we think is pain and suffering. And there's real pain and suffering out there. People who have lost a lot of our fans in the community. A lot of people have passed on and. My thoughts with everyone this New Year's Eve, because I know from my own point of view, it's a horrible time to to lose someone. And, um, you know, we're thinking of you. And um, much more important thing to nip switch away. I know that. And I just hope everyone has a safe and, and decent New Year and that we can pick up in 2024 and win some games and put some smiles back on faces. But we all know the real pain and suffering and my thoughts, everyone who's gone through that. And to end the, the show, I'd just like to thank everyone for sticking with this podcast. God knows I haven't made a complete pig's ear of it. They put me in control and they didn't know what they let loose. It's insane. I, I, and we're struggling. But hopefully it sounds okay on this one. We'll continue to do podcasts next year, which we will. And we will sort this out. And Ian, I have to say that was an excellent debut, mate. You, I can see why you got the bath tonight. It's absolutely amazing. You smashed that debut into the ground. Well played, sir. Thank you, Paul. My agent will be in touch with the invoice. If it's Kevin, you can buy me a cider. Um, <laughs> and um, Safo, as always, mate, just please, you're part of the podcast crew, mate, and thanks no, for coming pleasure. on. And have a seat. Pleasure as always, Paul. Pleasure. It, it might be a tad windy tomorrow. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> All right, lads. Listen, yeah, thanks Paul. for coming on the podcast, and we'll speak to you again soon. Let's hope we can get that win we all need. 